Well, let's get into the Word of God. If uh, you have your Bible, please open it to Mark chapter 2, verses uh, 23 to 28, we're going to look at today. As we, as you're finding that, uh, you know, as we um, enter into, I guess, a more intentional season of rest this summer, and uh, sort of finish up a small four-part series we've been doing on work and rest, it's good timing here as we approach... uh, a long weekend and summer uh, to uh, to end with part two of our of our series on rest here. So Mark chapter two, verses twenty three to twenty eight. The word of God says, "One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath?'" And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's take a moment to pray and uh, let this word kind of soak in this morning. Father, thank you for this, your word. And I pray that you would um, speak to us through it by the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord, to not just understand it, but to be changed by it uh, as we apply it to our lives. So we want to hear your voice today, God. And uh, I pray you would direct our time that we have unpacking this text today. In Jesus' name, amen. In his book, uh, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome, Kent Hughes shares the story about a young man who approached the foreman of a logging crew and asked for a job. That depends, said the foreman. Let's see you fell this tree. So the young man stepped forward and skillfully filled a great tree. Impressive, the foreman exclaimed, start Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday rolled by, and Thursday afternoon the foreman approached the young man and said, you can pick up your paycheck on the way out today. Startled, he he replied, I thought you paid on Friday. Well, normally we do, replied the foreman but we're letting you go today because you've fallen behind. Our daily charts tell us that you've dropped from first place on Monday to dead last on Wednesday. But I'm a hard worker, the young man objected. I arrive first, I leave last, I have even worked through all of my coffee breaks. The foreman, sensing the boy's integrity, thought for a minute and then asked the question, Have you been sharpening your axe? And the young man replied, I've been working too hard to take the time. The root of the word Sabbath is a verb. It's the word sabbat, single B, which means stop. Stop, cease, desist, rest, take the time. Without regularly stopping to sharpen up in various ways, as we're going to see this morning, one's life eventually becomes not only dull and frustrating, 
but also ineffective and detrimental, not just physically, but emotionally, psycho psychologically, relationally, and spiritually. A person is, you and I are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And so the word Sabbath, the root sabbat, is the noun sabaton, a double B, which literally means, in a literal sense, the seventh day of the week. Or sometimes it means seven days, a whole week. The focus is on the number seven. Um, in the, when it means a week, it's specifically referring to seven days at the end of seven Sabbaths, beginning on day 50. The full meaning behind the word Sabbath, therefore, when you take into consideration its root meaning as well, is this. It means the seventh day of each week, which was a holy day, a sacred festival for the people of God in the Old Testament, on which the people of God, the Israelites, were required to stop, to abstain, to cease, to desist from all work. The double B um, has intensive force. So keeping the Sabbath holy is the fourth of Ten Commandments given by God to the people through Moses. The Sabbath was foundational, as I've already alluded to, to the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavuot, a, feast, a festive week, which is seven days, which is seven Sabbaths after the Passover. Now, in the, in the Christian church, that's also known as Pentecost. During which, as with the Sabbath, no work was permitted for seven days. And both of these festivals were foundational to a Sabbath year of rest, at which time the land was given rest after six continuing, continuous years of being worked. And the Sabbath was also foundational for the year of Jubilee, which is the 50th year after seven times seven years, at which time liberty was proclaimed across the board, total and complete liberty for every debt, every slave, all land was returned to its original owner, and every person was set free. It was a complete and hard and total reset of the system. Needless to say, the Sabbath was and still is extremely important to Jewish people, extremely important. Not only to them, but to the foreigners and the slaves among them, and even to their animals. Uh, the Sabbath is talked about in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Profone, profaning the, this holy day, the Sabbath day, was punishable by death. And the disciples knew it. But why? That's the question. Why? Why all of this stopping? This ceasing from work? Why the holy festivals? Why a command? One, the fourth out of the Ten Commandments. Why? I mean, it seems obvious. Work hard, get tired, take a break. But there's much, much more to it than that. First of all, for starters, all of it, the Sabbath, is based on the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, which says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
So first of all, simply because God rested after six consecutive days of work, thus setting a pattern for all of mankind, including us, because it's a creation account, not an account of law, the Sabbath is holy and it's important. Secondly, the Sabbath is a reflection because of that of the holiness of God. The holiness, the splendor, the majesty of the creator, not just of what he made and did, but who he is. Number three, the Sabbath was a reminder to the people of God that their sufficiency and their provision came from God, that he actually was their sufficiency and their provider. Number four, the Sabbath was to serve also as a reminder, this is important, to the people that they were once slaves and that God brought them out of Egypt, out of the place of hard toil, under oppression, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and into a land of rest, the promised land, the land of Canaan. He delivered them. Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, commemorates not only the time when the first fruits were harvested and brought into the temple, but also the giving of Torah, the law. Whereas Sabbath represented freedom from bondage out of Egypt, Shavuot represented redemption from bondage to idolatry and immorality. And the year of Jubilee, that year when complete liberty of debts, land, and people was proclaimed across the Lord, across the, the board. Remember, all of this rooted in the Sabbath. The year of Jubilee was celebrated on the Day of Atonement, which was the most solemn and holy day of all, when the high priest would perform elaborate sacrificial rituals to atone for the sins of the people. Now, there's a lot involved to the Sabbath, isn't there? <laughs> and I just give you the flyover version. I mean, a, a book that Pastor Matt handed me this week, uh, D.A. Carson, looking at the historical and theological aspects of the Sabbath. I mean, it's thick, and that's just one of many. There's a lot involved. I'm just scratching the surface. And I don't know if you're bored with all that detail, but it is actually quite important to the text because of what Jesus declares at the very end of our text this morning. So, the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. All of that and all of the implications of the root of the number seven, the seventh day, the, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is the Lord of that, making it applicable to us. In principle, not exactly, but the idea is there, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. So secondly, let's look at the Lord of the Sabbath. If Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, how did he bring new meaning into it? A question you may have is, well, did, did, did Jesus and his disciples break or abolish the Sabbath? The short answer is no, they didn't. You see, if, if the David story, which we'll get to in a moment, you know, of, of David and his men going into the temple and eating the bread, which was unlawful to do, if the David story wasn't enough, Jesus could have cited uh, Deuteronomy 23. I don't have time to read it to you this morning, but mark it down. Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25, which <laughs> what the disciples and Jesus were doing at that very moment was completely lawful. It just happened to be on a day that was holy. So Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And he couldn't fulfill what he intended to break. What he was abolishing was not the law, but legalism. 
the interpretation and application of Torah by the rulers of the law who had made the Sabbath into something it was never intended to become, a burden. The Sabbath had become a downright burden. By the time of Christ, the Mosaic law had morphed into an insane amount of ridiculous sub-laws and rules that were nearly impossible to keep. You had to be almost perfect to do it, almost including the picking of a single ear of corn to mean harvesting and the rubbing of it in your hands to mean threshing. As we heard last week, any burden, any burden that is not born and carried by Christ is a burden too great to bear. The ultimate burden being the burden and weight of sin that Christ carried to Calvary when he accomplished his greatest work and the greatest work of all time ever accomplished the payment of our sin through the shedding of his blood on the cross so that we can enter his rest. You see, the law has one purpose only, only one, to show us how sinful we are and how desperately we are in need of a savior. That's the purpose. The law was never intended to save us from our sin. It was never intended to make us righteous. In fact, just the opposite. So in all of, the, all of the things that the Sabbath represents from point number one, which is the holiness, the sufficiency, the provision of God, the first fruits of creation, deliverance from bondage to slavery, redemption from idolatry and immorality, setting captives free and the total liberation of all things through a single act of atonement, the shedding of the blood of a of a perfect spotless lamb, all of it has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all of that. As one author put it, the Lord's attitude toward the Sabbath was, was by way of freeing it from these vexatious traditional accretions. Now those are big words, but accretions just simply mean layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of rules. The Lord's attitude towards the Sabbath was by way of freeing it from these vexatious traditional accretions by which it was made an end in itself instead of a means to an end. You see, the law, including the Sabbath, is not the end. It is a means to an end, and that end is Jesus Christ himself. If you, haven't, if you hadn't noticed, uh, the retelling of the story of David and the temple had to do with the law, period, not just the Sabbath. They, they were breaking law, and it had nothing to do with the Sabbath at that point. I, I just love the fact that Jesus said to them, I think Jesus, every once in a while, in his righteous indignation towards the Pharisees, can become a little bit sarcastic. And he said, have you never read? <laughs> have you never read? what David did. I mean, hey guys, you're the teacher. School's not out. Like, get your textbook. Have you never read what David did? In that statement, I think what Jesus was doing was he was really affirming here that as king, capital K, in the eternal line of David's throne, you see, these guys, they knew the prophecies. They, they knew Samuel. They knew all of those things about the throne of David. Jesus was saying, hey, as king in the eternal line of David's throne, as promised by God and prophesied, I am the fulfillment of this law. In fact, 
it was I who gave this law to Moses on the mountain in the first place. Oh, and by the way, it was, it was me who set the pattern for the Sabbath when I rested after six days of working and creating the earth and everything in it. Just read Colossians. Paul makes it abundantly clear that, it, that by him and for him, Jesus Christ, all things are created. He's the one who did it. And he's saying, oh, by the way, as eternal king, I supersede this law. It's fulfilled in me. Thereby setting the pattern because it goes all the way back to Jesus Christ at creation and his work, not only then, but at the cross. It still applies to all people. For the Jews, religiously, for Christians in principle. And we're going to talk a little bit about what some of those principles are. But the Sabbath still applies. It does. It just looks different. So legalism, playing the rules game, the continual striving, making Sabbath the end of all things, it, legalism always leads to burnout, always. I mean, the, the harder you try to follow the rules to be perfect, the harder you try, because you aren't perfect, by the way. I, mean, I might be, but you're not. So, just kidding. I get to get you to laugh a little bit, okay? Like, none of us is perfect. The harder we try to become perfect, the more internal conflict we have. I believe personally that burnout, burnout is not a result so much as exerting yourself physically all the time as it is with the emotional, the spiritual, the psychological conflict that is going on in our souls, in our lives, which leads to absolute burnout. There's no rest in that. The Lord Jesus, on the other hand, always leads to liberty, to life, and to peace. When Matthew recorded that Jesus said that not only did he come to fulfill the law rather than abolish it, and by the way, anyone who relaxes the law would be in big trouble, he also recorded this statement of Jesus. Listen carefully. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds, unless you are more perfect than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Translation? You're going to keep striving. You're going to keep striving to be more perfect than those guys. And by the way, you're never going to get into heaven if you're not just like them and even better. So, your right standing before God, your worthiness, your perfection comes from and is found in me. Because I am perfect. I fulfill all this. It doesn't come in the rules or the laws. And without me, you're hooped. Jesus actually took the law to a whole new level. Uh, he did, you know, Jesus never did away with the Ten Commandments. He elevated them, actually. Murder is now not just physical, it's also verbal. Um, adultery is not just physical immorality, it is mental. The Sabbath is not just stopping every seventh day to rest, but it is a regular pattern of rest. Again, the principle of the Sabbath still applies, which is centered on Christ himself and all that he has done for us, without all the nitpicky rules about how many steps one can walk in a day. <laughs> Another definition of rest, uh, we use the definition of rest as a verb. This one as a noun, um, not a verb, is this. A rest is an object that is used to support something. So if this music stand was uh, solid and doesn't go up and down, I could lean on it and it would become rest for me, a rest. In the Christian sense, this object um, moves from a noun to a personal pronoun, and the object actually is Christ. 
Pastor Matt preached the passage last week. Come to me, said Jesus, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, and, I, I, and you will find rest. Come to me, lean on me, yoke up with me. I am your rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke means that he is the rest. When I, when I was growing I always have to throw a Saskatchewan story in, okay? Because that's where I'm from, the prairies. When I grew up, my dad did not allow us to have horses. We, we always wanted a horse. And he said, not a chance, because when I was young, I worked with those animals plowing the fields. They were yoked together, a team of horses. And I knew how frustrating that was, be. <laughs> that, that was for me to work with them. It's just too much. And so, uh, so no horses on, on my yard, literally. But he made up for it by buying us uh, motorcycles, for which I'm very happy. You know, we had the three-wheeler, we had the dirt bike. Uh, it's all good. So um, uh, one animal all by itself... Um, so, in, in biblically, in biblical times, a horse was uh, a, an animal, a beast of war, generally, not for work. A beast of burden was an ox. Oxes are strong. One ox by itself apparently can, can pull about 8,000 pounds. That's a lot. And you, so you would think that being yoked to another ox, they could pull twice as much, right? 16,000 pounds or so? No. Yoked together, they can pull more, almost three times. Around 24,000 pounds. Isn't that amazing? Here's the spiritual reality on our own. Jesus says, you can do nothing. Not even 400 pounds. You can do nothing apart from me. You have to be yoked to me in order to move forward in your life and for life not to be a burden. And oh, by the way, with me, you can do all things. I can pull 24 gazillion pounds. <laughs> Let's go. So what does this mean today for us, his disciples? Let's look third at the disciples and the Sabbath. One day, on one Sabbath, he was walking through the grain fields. And as they were walking, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn and to eat them. First of all, I'm going to, want to give you five principles this morning really quick of the Sabbath. First of all is relationship. One commentator wrote, there is a deeper spiritual significance to observing a day of rest. While we must avoid all legalistic attitudes and practices regarding it, and Paul addressed that in Romans 14, we need a regular time to reflect on our relationship with God. Not a rest from mere, not a, uh, not a rest not merely for physical renewal, but for spiritual renewal. We must ponder what Christ has done for us on the cross and experience the rest that comes by trusting completely in his finished work on the cross. And we see that in Hebrews 3 and 4. What our text signals to me very strongly is relationship. The disciples being and walking literally with Jesus and allowing him to lead them as they talked together. Together. If, if technology, as, as Pastor Matt talked about last week, I'm not going to go there but in detail, but if technology is ruining or has ruined the lost art of relationship, I've always thought it's a joke that, you know, the people that you type to on, on Facebook are your friends. 
I mean, maybe some of them really are, if you actually talk to them. If technology is ruining the lost art of relationship, its greatest impact has been that of our time spent with the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath, wrote this. In a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received, and for that you need to be still. Sabbath is a, both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both a time on the calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. Uh, Joshua Becker, who uh, was a, a pastor, a Christian pastor, who turned a speaker and author after embracing minimalism and simplicity, he has, I think, a, a blog, a website called The Minimalist. He wrote this, Buddhism is all about non-attachment, which makes it right for minimalism. Christianity is all about attachment to God. As Christians, we want to become less attached to worldly things, yet more attached to godly things. I, I, I don't know about you, but I love older hymns. There was one written uh, in 1901. I haven't sung this in a long time, and when I found it this week, I was excited. It's called Near to the Heart of God. It's written by Cleland B. McAfee, who, who said this, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God, a place where we, our Savior, meet near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. There is a place of full release near to the heart of God, a place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. O oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? It, it, it describes what Psalm 23 is all about, that classic, timeless, he, he makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That's relationship. And that's Sabbath. Second thing we need to understand, the principle of the Sabbath is R&R. It's not really the best term, but I just, I wanted to keep stay with the R's. Um, that's, that's just me, alliteration. I love it. I can remember things, but... Um, yes, um, Sabbath is about rest and relaxation, but, but it's more than that. It, it truly is meant to rejuvenate, to renew, refresh, revitalize the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. And part of that, I think, is just plain old R&R, &R, leisure. 
But leisure is different than laziness. See, the world perceives Sabbath as laziness or sloth, but it's not. It's meant to restore. Laziness, true laziness, is sloth, and sloth is sin, and there is no rest when you have sin in your life. There's that inner conflict of the soul. So God is not asking us to be lazy. He is actually asking us to work hard for six days of the week because that's what he did. And then to stop because that's what he did. Now, going through the grain fields, um, especially a cornfield, this actually is referring to a cornfield here. Uh, Have any of you tried going through a cornfield? I mean, like not a corn maze where they mow down a nice wide path and you wander around in this cornfield and you can't find your way out. But have you, have you ever tried walking through an actual corn phase, uh, cornfield? Like, you're not in a hurry. You're just not. You can't be. You have to slow down. What, what's one of the first things, uh, you know, when you meet someone new, you go up to someone new, you've never met them before, what are some of the first things you talk about? So, hi, my name is Eldon, and your name is uh, Gary, whatever. Um, so, uh, tell me a little bit about your family. Oh, third thing, sometimes the second is, look, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do for work? Where do you work? Wouldn't it be interesting to start a conversation uh, like this? So, uh, Gary, tell me, what do you do for rest? But like, what, what does rest look like in your life? Try it sometime. In fact, try it this week. With somebody that you don't know, you've met the first time, say, so what does rest look like for you? I think it would take them aback. And it would, generally, it would start a good conversation, which ultimately would lead to Christ. Try it. One of the most convicting things, wrote uh, Buchanan again, Mark Buchanan, one of the most convicting things I have recently come to realize about Jesus is that he was never, not once, in a hurry. He was never, not once, in a hurry. According to a study, now this goes back three years now, uh, 2014, um, a study that measured the pace of life in cities of 32 countries, the people in the biggest hurry live in Singapore. Now the study was measured in how many um, how long it takes an average person to walk 60 feet. So they studied people. In Singapore, 10.55 seconds on average. In New York, 12 seconds. In Belantyre and Malawi, 31 and a half seconds to walk 60 feet. But regardless of where you live, the study concluded that walking speeds have increased by an average of 10% in the last 20 years. We just keep getting faster and faster and faster in everything. And Mark Buchanan said, most of the things we need to be most fully alive never come in busyness. They grow in rest, which means to stop. And part of resting is engaging in the spiritual disciplines. I wish I had time to talk about it, but the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude. Because when we're alone and we're not talking, we're actually listening. And being still like the boy Samuel, who, who when he was actually all alone and listening, the Spirit of God spoke to him on his bed. It is, it is then that we can hear God. And there is an amazing energy that comes when we hear God. That is re- that's revitalizing, that's refreshing when we hear him speak to us. 
but we have to be alone and still to do it. I was a little frustrated this week because huh, Tuesday, it didn't dawn on me till Wednesday, but on Tuesday, I remember that uh, when I got home, parked the car in the garage, I noticed one of my tires looked a little soft. And I thought, these are fairly new tires, that shouldn't happen. And, uh, and so I forgot about it. Wednesday, I, I drove to work and uh, the car was feeling a little different, a little sluggish. And so I got to work and I, I walked past my car and I looked at the same tire and it was very low. Turns out there's only 16 pounds of air in there. And so I went and I drove it while I could, which wasn't far, to the tire repair shop. And they pulled it off. And sure enough, there was a small screw that was in there that was just slowly releasing air. But I was frustrated because Thursday, I knew I had uh, a full day that didn't include sermon preparation. And Wednesday was my day to get her done. And now I had a whole hour. But let me tell you, I was actually thankful for the low tire and the advance warning because if that had gone flat, it would have been a whole lot more than an hour at the end of the day. I needed to stop. I needed to take care of that so that I could continue moving forward. And that's exactly what Sabbath is. The pattern uh, that one leader described, which I really like, again, it's alliteration, he said, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Love that. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. And when we release ourselves from the tyranny of the urgent, um, the next part becomes much easier, and this R is relinquish. Part of what Sabbath does is to help us realize and embrace the fact that we are not in control. God is. To relinquish means to voluntarily cease to give up, uh, to keep, to voluntarily cease to keep or to claim. It literally means to, just to give up. And a lot of burnout, and I, I don't know anything about this personally, I just don't. A lot of burnout comes down to an issue of control, usually related in an OCD personality, combined with a lot of pressure that we place on ourselves and other people because we want to please them. Uh, where we say to ourselves, well, you know, if I don't do it, uh, it's not going to get done the way I want it. And, uh, and, if, I, and if I don't do it, well, then, um, you know, those people aren't going to be very happy with me. So, you know, I just kind of have to. And of course, I don't know anything about that. I'm just, you know, just <laughs> talking about it. Um, this was convicting to me. Um, Mark Buchanan, again, I heard him speak, by the way, uh, about this. He said, the mindset of a man too busy, I'm too busy being God to become like God. Ouch. I'm too busy being God to become like God. And to become like God means we have to take the way of Jesus. Learn how to be humble. Learn how to follow. Learn how to listen. Learn how to give up control. Jesus left the throne room of heaven. What he gave up was astounding. That we might be saved. We have to give up control to, to the one who truly and only has control. And we have to trust. We have to trust God and other people. That they can maybe do it better. Number three. They're flowing into one another, but this is to rely. I, I love the fact that, you know... The disciples were walking with Jesus in this field and they start picking this grain 
And um, I think they likely knew that their actions were going to get them into some pretty deep doo-doo. But you know what? They didn't have to defend themselves because Jesus did. Loved it. You see, when, when Jesus is in control, there's no fear. We should trust him to work it out, as long as we're doing the right thing. He, he has it covered, so they relied on him 100%. Sabbath recovers our reliance on Jesus as our sustainer, our provider, our defender in every way. The great thing about faith in God, wrote Oswald Chambers, is that it keeps a man undisturbed in the midst of disturbance. It, Jesus knew all about disturbance. He knew all about chaos in his life. In fact, if you look between Mark chapter 2 and chapter 6, where he told his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, four chapters, listen to what's going on over there. Jesus was, uh, he started off by doing many miracles, so he was healing people, he was casting out demons, he was dealing with the intense grief of, of of grief-stricken, desperate family members who were, whose, whose loved ones were dying. There was lots of commotion. Scripture says literally commotion. Large crowds were following him and pressing into him continually. He, he came under intense pressure and scrutiny and accusation by the scribes, Pharisees, and rulers of the synagogues. His own family thought he was nuts. He was engaged in a very active teaching ministry uh, itinerant, so he was traveling not only by land but by sea, and, and he traveled by sea in a storm. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get in a boat or when I'm on an airplane and there's tons of turbulence, like, it's not relaxing. Not for me. He was dealing with some pretty upset people, again, all of this in four chapters, because their whole herd of pigs went missing. I mean, their livelihood literally went into the lake. Um, he offended his entire hometown of Nazareth, so much to the point where they rejected him. He continued to teach. He was continually mentoring and discipling and equipping this ragtag group of, of people following him called his disciples to do ministry in his name, trying to get them to get it. Um, and then he experienced the brutal death of his first cousin, whom, whom Herod had executed by beheading and, and the grief over that. And then in Mark chapter 6, it says the apostles returned to Jesus after he sent them out to do ministry and, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, awesome, keep going guys, we're on a roll. This is great. No, it doesn't say that. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Sabbath. In the chaos of life experienced by, by Jesus, like no other, it is essential to stop and to rely on, on the only one who can fill our tank truly. You know, you know the hymn that I quoted for you early by um, McAfee, 1901. He wrote that hymn right after the death of two of his nieces from diphtheria. And in the midst of that chaos and that grief and that turmoil in his life, the church choir took the words that he wrote and they sang it 
outside the quarantine home of his brother, the author's brother, who was dying of the same disease. And he had to learn in the midst of the trauma and the chaos of life, which we all experience, that there is a sweet place of rest near to the heart of Jesus. Vance Havner said, if we do not come apart and rest a while, we may just plain come apart. The last thing I want to say, the principle of the harvest is this. Again, the words aren't adequate, but it is to refocus. So at the age of 40, I set a goal for myself. I had been running uh, 10K races uh, regularly for a few years, and don't do that anymore, by the way. I'm trying to get back into it. But I had been running 10K races, and I said, you know what, wouldn't it be great to try to break 40 minutes at the age of 40? That was my goal. I found a training regimen, and I started training hard. I failed. My time, not bad, it's actually pretty good, but I ran 10K in 42.57. My son Josh, on the other hand, who didn't train at all, like not at all, he said, Dad, I'm going to beat you. Mind you, by the way, he was, he was playing premier soccer in Abbotsford at the time, so he knew what it meant to run, but he didn't train at all for a 10K. He, he absolutely crushed me, uh, 39.20. So he, three and a half minutes after crossing the line, he's sitting there, come on, Dad, like, hurry up. Uh, the problem, I actually overtrained. I didn't take time to rest and recover, and I trained too hard almost up to race day. And when I raced, I, I just, I couldn't do it. My, my muscles just didn't, hadn't recovered enough. The ultimate goals in life, going back to the beginning, is relationship. Relationship with Jesus, to know him, and then to make him known. And we, we need to practice Sabbath so that we can refocus on the goal And I believe that Jesus Christ took his 12 disciples through the grain fields that one Sabbath a long time ago for more than one reason. Yes, to slow down, but for a purpose. He wanted his disciples to get a better view of the harvest. Slow down enough to look at the goal. Guys, The fields are white unto harvest. They're ready. Thailand is ripe unto harvest. Chilliwack and the North Fraser and beyond is ripe unto the harvest. We have work to do. But we need to slow down first and focus on what's most important. It was a critical aspect of what he was teaching them. They needed to see it. What the scribes and the Pharisees missed. So if we come full circle uh, to all that the Sabbath entails, a Sabbath day which is holy to proclaim who God is, our provider and everything, the Feast of Weeks focused solely on sin, sacrifice, harvest, grain offerings and burnt offerings of seven lambs, drink offerings, food offerings, a sin offering of a male goat, a peace offering of, of, of two pigeons, a year old male goat, uh, two, of two-year-old male goats at that time, The Sabbath year, where the fields were not to be harvested to the edges, nor any of the gleanings gathered, but left for the poor and the sojourner. 
and on it to do no ordinary work. The year of Jubilee, when complete liberty was experienced by all, both great and small, all of it to acknowledge that it is God in Christ who works on our behalf, who gives us all we have, who in our poverty and wandering has met our greatest need, the removal, remission, and remediation of our sin, from slavery to sin to eternal rest in Christ. If we understand all of that, we have understood the Sabbath. J.R.R. Tolkien gives one of the most entrancing descriptions of the true nature of Sabbath. In book one of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he describes a time of rest and healing in the house of Elnrada in Rivendell. The hobbits, along with Strider, their guide, have made a dangerous, almost fatal journey to this place. They will soon have to make an even more dangerous, almost certainly fatal journey away from this place. But in the meantime, this. For a while, the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal, amen, and in every word, and in every song. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. That's Sabbath. So this morning, where's your Rivendell? Where is that place, that time, where fear and anxiety lift, where health and hope grow strong, where relationship, some r and relinquishing control, relying completely on Jesus and refocusing on the harvest can happen. Where is it? Let's pray. Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of the harvest, we, we thank you for your word for us today. In you, Jesus, is truly our rest. Help us to apply this week how we can best renew that relationship with you and with those around us. To take some time for leisure, not laziness, but leisure. To relinquish control and acknowledge that it is you that has all things in hand. To rely completely on your grace and your power and has redeemed us and restored us of our sin. And to refocus on the great harvest that is all around us so that we can once again work for your glory and your kingdom. Lord, help us with that for your glory, for your kingdom, for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.